the only constant is change and the only need is flexibility, no matter what industry you're in or where you are. Every single individual has a story to tell and they're great stories that need to be heard. I want every listener to know they have the ability to change the world. Welcome to the 1720 Podcast. What's up, Mom Movers? Welcome to year two of the 1720 Podcast. Welcome, Rachel. You're the first person to be sitting in this studio that's new and improved with some paint and some panels. The panels have been here for about six months, and we finally got around <laughs> to hanging them. Uh, we're super excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. You are welcome. I will tell you from personal experience, the panels look awesome. Happy to be here. The panels do look awesome. I was supposed to hang them. You want to tell that story, Kev? No, no. <laughs> I che- Well, sure. Yeah. I checked in with you Saturday morning. I'm like, hey, you almost done? And I was like, no, I'm a discount tire. I had this giant piece of metal in my tire. And I'm like, it's happening this weekend. We are not having another guest with them leaned up. So, But in solidarity, Stuart decided to wear a shirt that is exactly the same no. color as the Mm-mm. panel. False. I we have to post the picture. This is not... Is. It's not the same. It's panel-ish. It's panel-ish. I, w- I was on a Zoom call in this room earlier... And like your the camera color change, and I was like, "This is the same color." Is, is Stewart still here, guys? All I see is a wall panel. We're off in the ditch immediately. Remind <laughs> me to tell you a story about how we went to <laughs> we went to a um like a fundraiser for the school one time, and I wore a green screen colored polo shirt for an event that had a green screen photo op. <laughs> Okay, I'll tell the story now. And so all you could see, like it was me and Ashley in the picture, all you could see was my head. <laughs> like all the rest of me, my head and my arms. Just floating. Just floating. Yeah, I'll find that picture. That's a good one. Sign of the times. Yeah. Well, let's give Rachel a shout out because I emailed her last week like, hey, you ready? And that's why you'll see it in quotations in the prep sheet. I was born ready was her response <laughs> when we asked if she would join us. Right. Super awesome. Excited to be here. All right, so you know how we start. Who's Rachel? Yes, uh, Rachel is a mom of two wild little boys. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter, a sister, a friend, and a writer. I am curious about the world. I went to school at Austin College, home of the fighting kangaroos. I got my master's in sustainability at SMU. During my first career as an HR recruiter at the Beck Group in the container store, I honed my superpowers of listening, asking questions, and storytelling. And during the pandemic, I pivoted out of talent acquisition and into marketing to start my digital marketing firm called Southern Lighthouse. There you go. Are we Texas born and raised? Yes. San Antonio. Um, I was actually born in Amarillo, but San Antonio is really where I spent my formative years. Um, and so my parents are both lawyers. My brother is a Texas singer-songwriter. What? John Bauman. B-A-U-M-A-N-N, lives in Austin. He's open for a guy named Willie Nelson. He's written for Kenny Chesney, if you're familiar with these names. Those are awesome. They are. Um, and he is too. And my sister is an entrepreneur too. She started a hand littering business in college. So she's full-time um, selling her own stuff on um, on her website. So Hand lettering? Yeah. So kind of like calligraphy, but um, hand illustrations. I'll show you her website. Um, it's, it's a pretty cool... Um, skill that she has. That's awesome. Yeah. We went, okay, squirrel immediately. Two. We're two. <laughs> We're squirrel number two. What are we? Three minutes in. Have you ever been to Nashville? I have. Have you ever been to the Hatch Print Show? I have not. You know what I'm talking about, Kev? Nope. Okay, so go Google that, but it's like an old school print shop. 
And it made me think about like hand lettering that you're mm-hmm. talking about because mm-hmm. they would like, mm-hmm. they've been carving out the wooden pieces mm-hmm. for purposes mm-hmm. of printing like um, music show festival uh, flyers and stuff like that. It was amazing. We went this week, this summer, but um, it made me think about your sister. Like, Super cool. Yeah. yeah. No, she went to school in Memphis and um, and then kind of came back to Texas and lives in Austin now, but um, super talented and makes city prints. So like, you know, the iconic images from every city she'll put together and people can frame it, put it on their wall. And it's kind of a way to remember like where you went to college and where you grew up and where you got married and things like that. So it's a, it's a cool way to kind of remember where you've come from. That's awesome. Did your parents try to recruit you into law or kind of the opposite? Like, no, no. don't follow us in this. <clears throat> there was never any pressure to become a lawyer. I really, no offense to her, but never wanted to be one. Um, I I never knew what I wanted to do. I loved writing always growing up. And um, they were killer. When I brought my essays home. They were like, red line, red line, red line. You know, they're so good at writing. That's just a skill that you develop. Um, but no pressure ever to, to get into law. Um, and they always did very different types of law. One was a federal prosecutor and my mom is a corporate attorney. So very different, um, parts of the law, but, um, very much, I think, encouraged all three of us to follow our own path and do what we wanted to do. What's it like growing up in San Antonio? You know, it's funny. I don't know as a kid that you really appreciate where you come from until mm. you go back. And so as an adult, I've gone back to San Antonio. And I'm like, this is a really cool place. I mean, I, I love going back to visit. Obviously, the food is great. But, you know, as a kid, every field trip was to the Alamo. And you're like, again. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I definitely took it for granted as a kid. But it's a great place to go back to. We were just talking about that this weekend. I've never been there with a family. So mm. our daughter's about to turn four and we were talking about the whole sea world and the riverfront experience and what that would be like with a family as opposed to it's always been a business trip for me. Yeah. And I bet it's completely different and a lot of fun. For sure. I think Quinn would love sea world. Um, if that would be just a fantastic place to be. So I yeah. definitely encourage it with the Have fam. you seen Blackfin? <sighs> no. I, I don't want to watch it. Don't I think watch it's it. going to turn me off. Don't watch Blackfin. <laughs> if you like SeaWorld, don't watch Blackfin. I don't know if I like SeaWorld. <laughs> Go check it out and then watch Blackfin. See what you like better. This is a travesty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a feeling I know where this is going. Yeah, you know what Blackfin's about. Um, all right. So how did you – let's see. So Austin College, is that yes, right? Yes, Austin where? College in Sherman, Texas. Okay, very confusing. Not in, Not it is in very Austin. confusing. So there's a man named Stephen F. Austin. There's a city oh, go on. named after him. <laughs> there are two colleges named after him, and one is Austin College in Sherman, Texas, an hour north of Dallas. So it's a small liberal arts college. We call it the Harvard of the South. Like 1,200 students. Um, <clears throat> and it was a really great experience. I mean, super small class sizes. I'll tell you, you know, when I worked at Beck, part of my job was recruitment for college students. And so I was exposed to Texas Tech and A&M and OU and these massive schools like totally blew my mind. Like the school spirit, there are football players and a team, you know, Austin College is very much focused on academics. You don't really go there for sports, Um, but everybody knows everybody. Teachers know you. Um, Gossip spreads like wildfire by Monday, but a really, really tight community. And so I had a great experience there. And the vibe is very much like do everything. So I was like in newspaper. I was the mascot. I was like on in theater and a sorority. It was sort of like a great opportunity to do a lot of things. Um, so I had a, a great experience there. And one of the things they encourage is for students to travel. 
they have a mini master called Jan term. So the month of January, you come back early from Christmas break and you go do something special. So um, <clears throat> you go to learn chess. I went to do the flora and fauna of island culture in New Zealand. I did a scuba class in Mexico. Um, so, you know, one short class highly focused in one area that you would never normally learn about except in that opportunity. So um, those opportunities to travel were really special. So I spent a semester in Australia um, traveling there. And um, I think that really exposed me to how wide the world is and all the mm. things that you can do and all the places you can go to. We had, we had another guest who spent a bunch of time in Australia. Who was Bennett. It? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Spending some time down under. So I know you've been to a bunch of places. What's your favorite? I don't know if you can even answer that. But. <clears throat> yeah, super hard. In a heartbeat, I would go back to New Zealand. I think it's just so beautiful and wild, and the outdoors is such a part of everyone's everyday life. Um, super long plane ride to get there, but mm -hmm. I would definitely go back to New Zealand. Did you see the Northern Lights while there? I didn't. Um, we really spent a lot of time, like camping and hiking and kayaking. So as soon as the day was over, like you just went to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it was so much work, but a really awesome experience. My, I met my husband in, um, in college. He's two years older than me and we knew of each other, you know, with a small, small school mm -hmm. like that, everybody knows everybody, but we reconnected about 10 years later through match.com. I was like, Oh, you were that guy that was in, you know, <laughs> You were that campus. guy. Nobody, he doesn't want to be that guy. Oh, you were that guy. <laughs> I know you. I know you. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, so anyway, I, I attribute meeting him in college, but um, the internet bringing us back together. That's awesome. So what does he do? So he's an oil and gas. And um, so very different world than, um, than I live in, but he's really um, awesome at um, kind of leading his team um, and their recently back into the into the office so we got to share an office for a year during the pandemic and um and now he's getting to spread his wings and go back to this office which <laughs> spread is his wings probably <laughs> probably good for him <laughs> that's fun all right so austin college takes you where yes so i didn't know what i wanted to do after graduation so i had saved my money from college and decided to backpack across eastern and western europe after i graduated so i spent the next year Living out of a backpack, basically eating bread and cheese, sleeping in hostels and sleeping on people's couches. So not a glamorous European trek, but um, pretty <clears throat> boots on the ground um, experience and, and just trying to see as much as I can. Um, so that was a, a great experience for me, kind of jumping off like all of the things you've learned about like Germany and going to actually see the Berlin Wall. Um, I had a really neat night in Krakow, Poland, um, that kind of changed my perspective on things. I was walking home, home being a hostel <laughs> over <laughs> a bridge. And, um, this is November 1st. And, um, the day after Halloween is known as all saints day, you know, like in Mexico, it's Dia de los Muertos. People celebrate their dead. And so I looked down and in this graveyard, there were thousands of multicolored candles and families had gathered to put all of these candles on gravestones and really took the whole day to like bring a picnic and bring their family and spend time together and celebrate their loved ones. And that just really um, was the first time I'd ever thought about, you know, coming back to the family and, and sort of celebrating death. I think in America, we, we don't, <laughs> once no, the yeah. funeral's over, we're done. 
Um, but, you know, it was things like that that really opened my mind to there are different ways to live and there are different ways to live live life and celebrate life. And so, you know, that night in Poland was one of those kind of inspirational moments for me to just think about living life in a different way mm-hmm. than we normally do. But So so walk me through that a little slow, more slowly. You're, you're walking over a bridge? Yeah, and under the bridge is a graveyard. Okay. Not a river, but um, it's sort of a, a higher perspective. So I could kind of look down and in the darkness see all of these candles illuminated um, on top of all of these graves where these families had gathered and basically celebrated all day long. It's, it sounds, um, this can be a hokey word to use here, but it kind of sounds magical. Yeah. Magical, a little haunting when you kind of figure out what's going on. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it really was. It was really a celebration and, and something they do every single year. I mean, it's a holiday. Like nobody goes to work that day so mm-hmm. that they could celebrate their family members who have passed on. Interesting. What I thought was cool about a trip to Europe was you're just a short, train ride from country to country, right? Like you you don't really think about that. And when you go from one country in Europe to the next, it's a complete cultural difference. You know, it's a little bit here in the United States when you go from state to state, but it's completely different over there. So did you have a goal in mind that you mapped out these countries and you wanted to see these? And and did you do the train ride thing and just one way ticket from there to there to there to connect some dots? What did that look like? I did. Initially, I bought a one-way ticket to Europe, not knowing when I was going to come back. And as a planner, that's a super hard thing for me. I mean, I, you know, going over, I was like, okay, agenda, day one, day two. And then you're like, I can't plan out a whole year of activities. And I had a Lonely Planet guidebook and I had my travel journal um, and I had this money that I'd saved. And that was really it. And this is like didn't have a cell phone, you know, internet cafes are pretty cool. So every few days I'd like pop into one of those, um, right home, like, Hey mom and dad, I'm still alive. And, um, you know, I'd started writing on a, a blog, a travel blog, just to kind of record my experiences. So it was a way for people to connect with like, Oh, Rachel's alive. And she, (laughs) she's in Turkey tonight. Um, so it, looking back, it's been a really, really cool kind of storybook of all of the places that I went and uploading photos and mementos. But um, I didn't have a plan, but I did. I did trains and planes and buses. And you're right. All of the countries are so connected. And and again, people don't have cars. You know, a car is a luxury and maybe one per family. And so I really had to kind of come off of this, like, where's my automobile? Where's my closet? You know, it's a it's a big cultural shift to realize I'm going to take public transportation wherever I want to go. And, um, <clears throat> you know, if I, if I want to go to Portugal, I'm going to have to figure out how to get there. And it's probably going to be two buses and a train. And then I'll get off at the station and have to figure out where to stay that night. So the planner in me was very suppressed. <laughs> and so I really had to get okay with, um, just change and, um, everything being up in the air every single day. Yeah, and that one-hour train ride, you enter a different country. That's a whole different language. Yes. So how were you communicating going to these different countries that speak all these different languages? Super hard. And it was harder in some countries than others. You know, I started, I flew into London. So I kind of started with the English speakers. A and limpin. that was a Right. <laughs> Let's go in slowly. But, you know, as I moved further east, I mean, Serbia was super hard. Croatia mm-hmm. was harder. Turkey was a little harder. The more touristy areas you go to, the more people spoke English. 
English. Um, but the more rural you went, it's, it was a lot harder. And I definitely communicated a lot with like sign language. Like I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please give me some water. Where's the bathroom? Um, you know, general things. People are pretty friendly and I really, I can only think of like two or three negative experiences I had the whole time. I think people in general are, are good and want to help you. And so it was a, a really positive experience, though I didn't know the language or didn't have the right currency or didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. I think people people are there to help. So one one way ticket, what ended up bringing you back? <clears throat> good question. Honestly, I um, I was pretty tired of of the grind. I mean, Mm. every day waking up and trying to figure out like, okay, where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to eat tonight? Um, And I had been away for almost a year. And so at the end of the day, I was like, I'd love a shower that's Mm. my own. I'd love a closet. My clothes I've worn, I had like three shirts and three (laughs) pairs of pants, you know, it was like, I'm ready for something different. And I miss my family and friends. Um, you know, it, it was really great coming home and getting to see that definitely a a cultural, um, shock coming back to America Mm -hmm. where everyone has cars and everyone had a cell phone. And, um, I think the wealth and opulence felt really overwhelming at the time. Um, but ultimately I think it was just nice to, to see family and friends again. Two questions. One, do you keep your blog up? All those, all those little nuggets you recorded. It's so funny. I actually went back this week. It is still public. I don't know that I, I would love to share it, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, there are some nuggets in there that was pretty, um, that it was a cool step toward what I'm doing now, actually, because it was kind of the moment that I realized I love writing. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was just a way for me to process what I'm going through, but also let my family know I was alive. Um, and now that I look back, I realize it was very reflective um, in a great way for me to kind of process what I was going through and what was happening and watching around me. And um, and I still write. I mean, I write, you know, now it's more like LinkedIn captions. And um, I read a newsletter every month with just like what's going on in the business and my personal life. But um, it was really kind of a, a huge step towards recognizing what I love to do. What, um, with, with the benefit of a few years of hindsight, reflecting back on that, what, what did you learn? What's your big takeaway from spending a year with three shirts and three pairs of pants hiking all over the place? <laughs> In order to save money, I did a lot of couch surfing. So there's a website called couchsurfing.org. This is like pre online dating. So it has nothing to do with hooking up with people, but you created a profile of like, here's who I am. I'm a Texan who's traveling around Europe and everyone else fills out a profile too. Like we're a couple who lives in Austria. We have a Husky. We're open, you know, Saturdays and Sundays to host travelers. So you would send a message through the platform, get a message back. Hey, I'm available. We'd love to host you. So I stayed with a lot of couples, a lot of, um, girls that were open to hosting travelers. And this is free. I mean, we're not paying for that. Often they'd meet me at the train station and bring me back or feed me or give me a map or whatever. And so I stayed with a sailing instructor. I stayed with a cartographer. I mean, it was really a way to live close to the ground. You know, often when we travel, we stay in hotels, we eat in restaurants. It's not the nitty gritty day to day of real life in that city, but I got to taste real life by couch surfing. And so I think I really learned the value of hospitality when I was traveling and just these people who are total strangers opening up their houses to let me stay with them. 
That's super interesting. It's something I would never, <laughs> ever do. <laughs> like Ashley and I were talking this weekend. Uh, we had our wedding anniversary on Friday. We went to dinner and there was a, uh, at this restaurant we were at, there were two people separately eating by themselves. And I, I, Ashley and I looked over there and she's like, would you ever do that? I was like, nope. Would never go to a restaurant by myself. Would never go to see a movie by myself. And the idea of like just couch surfing, like all of it. Nope. <laughs> Big old nope. <laughs> well, now I'm even more curious how all that leads into our wacky world of construction. Yeah, right. Yes. Bridge this for us. <laughs> so I got back from Europe and still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, there was an opportunity that came up to be kind of like a camp counselor for a cultural exchange program. And there was a group of kids from Dallas traveling to Denmark and a group of Danish kids traveling to the U S that were in an exchange and they needed a leader. So this is like two months after I got back and they asked me if I would do it. And I was like, free ticket back to Europe. Yes, please. <laughs> um, and so I was the leader for this group of 15 year olds so we spent time with the families in Denmark and then they came and stayed with us in Dallas. And, you know, we took them to the Mesquite Rodeo and took them to eat babe's chicken. And, you know, you're like, let's give them the real Texas experience. So at the end of that program, um, again, I was like, I really got to find a real job. And one of the parents said, why don't you come and work for us? We work at the Beck Group. And I said, what is that? They're like, <laughs> we're a construction architect firm. I was like, I don't own a hammer. I'm sorry. And they're like, um, Okay, not everyone um, owns a hammer who works here, and they um, have an opening in human resources. If you can keep a group of kids alive on an international trip, you could probably come and work for us. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed for this HR job. Fair. At right. Beck. We're children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and so I got hired at Beck as an HR coordinator. And a big part of my job was really um, – organizing an internship program for the college students coming in and then um, ultimately kind of grew into um, I noticed these interns really wanted to connect with each other you know a lot of them were from Kansas and Oklahoma and South Texas and didn't have a kind of a family in Dallas and so I added on a community service aspect. So the first year we worked with Habitat for Humanity and built a building together the first week of their summer internship. And the next year we went to repair damaged homes from Hurricane Rita in South Texas. You know, so these students were using the skills that they had to hang drywall. Um, but they were also connecting. I mean, we're, you know, sleeping on a church floor and we're eating together and we're working together all day. And so, you know, by the end of week one, they had formed all these connections with each other and with the Beck employees that were volunteering to be on the trip, too. And it also furthered the mission of giving back. And so I realized that was an important part of, of their summer and um, their experience just to build those connections. And, and so interns were a big part of my job. And then was like, well, we're doing so much for these college students. Like, what about when they grow up a little bit more? So started a mentorship program. And one of the great lessons I learned from Beck was um, I went to my boss, Joe Flores, who's awesome, and said, I think we should have a mentor program. These, you know, once these students have grown up out of college, they still need these connections. And um, so we need a budget and we need approvals and we need to go to leadership. And he was like, um, let's just call it a pilot program and let's not ask for permission. Let's ask for forgiveness. Just do it. Mm -hmm. 
And I really appreciated that mentality because I was ready to go through the channels and wait 14 weeks to get approvals. And he was like, let's just do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really great lesson for me that um, leaders can empower their people. Just do it. You know, you can make mistakes and it's okay. Um, and it ended up being a, a really great success. But um, I appreciated him empowering me to to do that program. Um, it, it, time, time frame us a little bit. Yeah. So I started it back in 2007. So 2007, we were making offers to candidates out of college, like praying they would say yes. I mean, candidates were getting six and seven offers from different companies, tons of competition. Very quickly, that turned into the recession of 2008. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) within a year, you know, I am suddenly in a position that I've been asked to lay people off Mm -hmm. within the company. And and those were really agonizing days and decisions. I mean, my boss literally like turned gray. I mean, I had a hard time eating dinner. I remember calling my mom one night and I was like, I have to lay someone off tomorrow. And I just, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And she said, it's better you than someone who doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Whatever your job is, do it well. Um, so that's really stuck with me too of um, whatever your job is, do it well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard. I mean, there, there's a guy in my small group who's gone through some of those um, pull, push and pull and having to let people go. And it's never easy. The conversation that we have surrounding it's not easy. Um, and I don't, this is probably just my cliche question, but I don't know that you ever learn anything through that. But what, I mean, through the process of doing that, is there any takeaways you think other than, you know, whatever you're doing, do it well? Is there some like takeaway around from that, uh, away from that process of letting people go? You're right. So it's, it's so, so, so challenging. I think those are some of the most challenging days of my career. You know, I think it's always important to be upfront and honest and clear with people. And I think when you're in stressful situations like that, your tendency is to overshare or talk too much or um, make excuses or kind of fill in. But I think just being super clear and direct and short, um, is really what I got out of that experience. Right. Give, pe- give people some clarity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got that full cycle of that department or division in one year. Yeah. Yes. And then, so you got to see cycle two, would that be 2019 to 2020? Cause we were booming yeah. in 2019. And then all of a sudden can't see this one coming 2020. Right. And then all of a sudden hiring people, traveling around the country, grabbing people for new projects. They're about to start all these projects disappeared. Your department that skill set completely changes. It totally does. And I think it just speaks to the need for flexibility in all of our jobs. I mean, you know, I transitioned um, into the retail industry in 2015. So I went to work for the container store. And, you know, I thought retail was a pretty stagnant industry. But I mean, you talk about like the rise of e-commerce and Amazon, everyone ordering everything online, Mm. and then suddenly click and pick up is a big deal and omni-channel retail. I think in every industry, everybody goes through cycles and the only constant is change and the only need is flexibility, no matter what industry you're in or where you are. Man, let's mark that down. The only constant is change and the only need is flexibility is good. I'm just thinking about how little I know about retail because you, you hear e-commerce, right? And we're all going that direction. And I see a development getting built and it ends up being a TJ Maxx, a Burlington co-factory, like the same sell of ones over and over that keep popping up as what you hear from the news outlets is big box retail is going away. But clearly it's not. 
I mean, go up and down George Bush. There's a new one like every five miles. Right. Just shows how little I know about that whole world. <laughs> they um, are definitely putting them up all over the place. Although I wonder who's going into them in a pandemic, right? Because uh, things have changed a little bit, and I feel like they're probably changing back, not to get into this whole Delta thing. But I don't think I'm going to go into a retail store and stand next to 35 of my favorite strangers to try to pick out a pair of pants right now. Look at those parking lots, though, man. They are slammed. I know. Slam, slam. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell us about Container Store. What's your journey there? Actually, we we skipped over something, right? You get a, a master's degree in the middle of all this? Oh, I did do that. Yeah, yes, right? Yes, yes. No, you shook me off, too. She nodded me I off. really? Did I skip something? No, she nodded me <laughs> off. I like, no, My life, that. Stuart. My life. I yeah, know it. I know what I did. No, yeah, I think you got a master's in the middle of all I that. I did. I did. I was working at Beck, <laughs> and again, um, Betsy Del Monte tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, I think you'd be really good in this master's of sustainability program we're starting at SMU. And I was like, I have always been interested in the environment. That does sound cool. And Beck had a policy that they re- reimburse for 50% of your tuition, uh, even at SMU. So, you know, I think that speaks to like the value of policymaking, like whoever put that in place really enabled me to mm-hmm. get a master's. So that was pretty special. But um, it was a nights and weekends course that they built semester by semester. So it ended up being close to three years of, um, you know, Saturday classes, Tuesday, and Thursday nights. And so I'd go to work, race home, change clothes, ride my bike up to school, which was great, except when it rained. Um, (laughs) And then, uh, you know, come home, go to sleep and do it all over again. So definitely a grind during that season. I don't know that I could do it now that I'm married with children, but it was right for that season. And I'm super grateful. I, I think I'm always interested in learning, whether it's formally or informally. So I'm super grateful to have that opportunity, um, to learn about sustainability. And that program was really centered around sustainable development, sustainable design. So really designed for the construction industry, which made sense, Mm -hmm. not necessarily for my role in human resources, but for the company that I worked for and furthering that mission. Um, And really, I think there are a lot of takeaways from sustainability in terms of it's making life better for the long term. You know, it's, um, I think being conservative with, with what we have and making um, this, world a better place for our children. And so you can put in LED lights instead of fluorescence. And I think that's a part of it. Um, but I think it's it's also not being wasteful mm-hmm. with what we're given. It's, it's timely on the heels of what is, to me at least, pretty big news in the last few days of like, hey, you know this climate change thing? Uh, we were wrong. That's going way faster than we thought it was. Have you seen all this? My husband just told me about this at lunch today. I mm-hmm. was like, oh, wonk, wonk. Like, what a bummer to read that. Um, but like, it's not too late to still make it better, even though it may not be for our lifetime that we do have the power to, to make it better for, even though it may be a hundred more years. Well, I think it takes a long time for the the tide to change. Right. And, um, there's, there's a lot of different applications of that, but I grew up never thinking about recycling. I grew up never thinking it like it was just, I just did what I did. No one, I mean, there's not a little high level of consciousness around that. Mm-hmm. And now today at my house, there's a handwritten note that my eight-year-old wrote and pasted on top of the trash can that says, do you really need to throw this away or can it be recycled? (gasps) I love it. It's awesome, right? And I want to like, it's all dirty now because it's on the trash can, but like (laughs) I want to rip it off. But the point of that is like that note wasn't on my trash can growing up. And so I think just like lots of things in society, it's just taken longer than we wished it would to to pivot back. But man, my kids are super like responsibly uh, environmentally 
and, and consequently in my house we are too. But um, anyway, it's going to take some but, time. It's a point. What's so cool about that story, I think, is like it's led by your child. Right. You know, it's not mom and dad saying, hey, remember that Coke bottle goes in the recycling. It's your kid mm-hmm. saying, hey, mom and dad, remember. I think that's so encouraging. Yes, it really is. What I think is cool with the master's program sustainability is you leave with a master's on a way of life. Like it's not mm. uh-huh. just construction, but like finance, for example, that'd be a great one because you can use it for your family budget, True. real estate, side hustle, whatever you get into it. It just dawned on me as you're talking about this, that it doesn't matter if you stay in the construction world or not. Sustainability is a way of life mm. and, a, and a perspective and a mindset. And that's that's pretty awesome. You get to carry that with you the rest of your life. Yeah, you're right. I think that's cool. Something you guys recently had said is like, we're leaving with an MBA. Mm-hmm. Like we're this podcast is a master's degree and lots of different things from people to careers to leadership. And and I think that's pretty cool too. I mean, it's, I mean, not to echo the same thing, but like, I can't even count the number of things I've learned doing this that I'm implementing at the office, right? Can't even count them. There's just too many of them. So awesome. Um, which is going to take me to an, another topic for you is at the container store on our prep sheet is, uh, some lessons learned from interviewing. Yes. Hot topic for me right now. Tell me all about it. Okay. I brought you a book. Oh, nice. I know you're not a big book reader, so <sighs> I can send you like a digital copy, <laughs> but, um, uh, what happens is I'll tell you, I'll read it. And then Kevin, I- I'm going to have to read it and tell him what the book was That's about fair. That's fair. <laughs> on a phone call on his ride home or something. Okay, I posted this on LinkedIn as my digest. I'm doing this now on LinkedIn as like, re- I read a book and then for me to help remember, I write the highlights so people can get like the, the top five takeaways. So I just read the who. Oh, I saw, I saw you post that. Yes. It was really huge for me. And I wished I had read it 15 years ago when I was starting to do recruiting it back in the beginning. It identifies all of the interview types. I'm the, you know, I'm the guy who's going to ask you what animal you are. I'm the guy who's going to grill you. I'm the guy who's going to just talk about the baseball game. Like, There's so many wrong ways to interview people, primarily gut feel or intimidation. And my philosophy on interviewing is really to develop a connection and understand their story. Come from a place of curiosity and just ask questions. People love talking about themselves. Mm -hmm. The other important part of interviewing is behavioral interviewing. So a lot of times we're like, what'd you do this weekend? Or like, hypothetically, what would you do in this situation? So you're projecting, you're asking about a future situation. What would you do? Anybody could answer whatever they want. What you're trying to get to is an actual behavior they've actually done before. So tell me about the last time that you had to do a budget. What happened? Mm -hmm. Tell me more. What happened then? Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. So um, actually trying to get to the behaviors of things they've actually done before because past behavior is the best indicator of future behavior rather than these hypothetical projections. Um, so container store, you know, we really tried to make it a good experience for candidates. We're not trying to intimidate them or grill them. I would spend a lot of time ahead of time saying, here's a map to our office. Here's where to park. I told the receptionist their name. I put it on a receptionist calendar. They would walk in the door. The receptionist would say, David, it's great to see you. Rather than, who are you here to see? Wait for five minutes. She'd bring them water. And then after the interview, I'd go to her and I'd say, hey, how did they treat you? Mm. Because how you treat the receptionist is how you're going to treat everybody else at the end of the day. Mm. And um, 
they're not second class citizens. And so her opinion counted when it came to interviewing. So we tried to make it a positive experience, but also kind of a, a group experience of like, how do the receptionists take them? How do the hiring manager take them? How do they treat me as the recruiter? Um, and so that was kind of the philosophy of, of making a good experience, but kind of making it a communal experience as well. I like doing that at lunch. Like, yes. so like I'm having conversation with you, Stuart comes up, uh, as our server asking us about something, just watching those behaviors. For sure. How do they treat the waiter? Absolutely. Cause I mean, that's real life. And again, that's the behavior in the behavioral interviewing. Are they, yeah, checking their phone all the time? Do they act like they have somewhere else to be? Are they late? Do they treat the waiter poorly? All of those things matter. Mm. Okay. Lots of questions. I'll try to just ask a couple. (laughs) When y'all would interview those, would it be like a battery of interviewees? Like you would go through with different people or would they just interview with one person or how logistically, how did that work? That's a good question. I was responsible for hiring in our corporate office. So we had a structure of what happened in the store. We had a structure for what happened in our distribution center. We had a structure for what happened in our corporate office. And um, usually there were multiple interviews. The who book actually outlines this pretty clearly. Um, We'd have a phone interview. We'd have a personal interview and then with the hiring manager. And then often there was kind of a team interview or more of a peer interview um, just for them to get a feel for what it's like. I mean, to kind of say like, Hey guys, what time do y'all really get in the office? Mm -hmm. And like, what really happens when you have a sick kid, those kinds of things that may be maybe over lunch, we had a cafeteria on site. So that was more of an informal kind of conversation, but um, a great way to know who you're going to be working with, not just who you're going to be working for. Mm -hmm. Um, We always included a tour of the space just for them to understand what it looked like. Um, Same with our distribution center, you know, um, container store distribution center is a um, unair conditioned large warehouse, million square foot facility in Texas. So Mm -hmm. you need to know what it looks like. You need to have a physical and you need to understand that it's, um, it's a different kind of environment. Um, and same in the store, the interviews were actually taking place in the store during working hours. So it would take place back in the office section in the bungee chairs, customers were walking around. So you could see, you know, how do they interact with like, 13 customers bouncing around them. And, you know, there were a lot of environmental factors, but I think it's important to interview in the space that you're going to be working in. You know, when you take somebody to a fancy restaurant and then you're like, oh, you're going to be working in this office. You're like, These are very different environments. And so it's as much for the candidate as it is for the company. And you really want both to benefit. So for the folks listening that might be in the interview process, what's In an expert's mindset, what's a home run? Like they have these attributes that you can sniff out through these behaviors and all the the checkboxes. Yeah. Every role had a different technical responsibility, but I think at the end of the day, we're looking for a cultural fit. And I know you guys have talked about that a lot on the – on the podcast. And so there are questions around culture fit that um, we would ask. And again, turning back to behaviors or asking, what does it mean to you to um, fill the other guy's basket to the brim? What That's one of our principles. Um, you know, and we would have sent those ahead of time and said, these are our core values, read about them, tell us your favorite. And so part of it was how much have you invested in us? Like we have researched you. We've talked to you on the phone. Have you been to our website? Have you followed us on social? Where are you? Um, 
at in your journey. And luckily, Container Store is a fortune best places to work. And so a lot of people knew a lot, but it's it's an investment. You know, did you spend time researching us? Because we've spent time investing in you too. What's the, um, are you responsible then for the onboarding too in that, in your position? Yes. Um, really through day one, and then you kind of turn them over to yeah. the manager to, to do that. But we would coordinate new hire orientation, um, really worked hard to make that a beautiful experience for them too. I think we've all walked into a job where someone's like, I think your computer's in the back and, uh, somebody will probably be here later. We did not find that acceptable. And so again, first day, it's on the calendar for the manager, the receptionist, the team. Everyone knows they're there. Lunch is set up. They're going to have um, a walk through their department, talk about successes. This is actually a project I'm working on with another client. They've said, like, how can we make our onboarding better? And so um, it's so important. It's the foundation for the rest of your career there. And if you feel solid and welcomed on day one, that just makes for such a better experience later on. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was definitely outlined of what day one should look like for new hires. Yeah. So I don't know if Ian actually still listens or not, but Ian is uh, an associate at the office who's a superstar and he's actively trying to figure out what that means for us. That's awesome. Because we're about, we're in the hiring processors in the next few probably months going to be multiple new lawyers coming into the firm. And that's what we want is like day one. You're like, I think Holly said it, but we're super excited you're here, right? Yeah. Like this is the excitement has been building and this is day one. And so we're trying to figure out, that's why I was asking all those questions. We're trying to figure out what does that look like? How does that, what's the execution of that? What is the physical manifestation of that? All of those different components. So the day one is awesome. Yes. And sir, I think you do that for three reasons. One is it's just the nice thing to do to feel welcome and to go home at the end of the day and to talk to your spouse and be like, I had an awesome first day. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you want. Number two, you do it because this market is so crazy. I mean, we're experiencing the great resignation. Like people are upset in their jobs. We've asked a lot. They've worked remotely. They're being asked to come back. People have done so much work over the last year that a lot of people are looking. So talent is at a super shortage right now across every industry. And so we need to do everything we can to bring in great talent and keep them. I mean, recruiting is a big part. Retention is the other part. So you want to do it to keep the good people. And then three, I mean, culturally, it's it's in line with your values of what your company does. Right. Yeah, those are good reasons. What what does recruitment marketing mean? Like, I, I see that on the prep sheet. Is, is that something that became through the container store, like something that was birthed through there and then you kind of ran with it from there, but like You're totally right by definition, what, what are we looking at what there? What does that mean? It is a bridge between recruiting and marketing. It was a concept that um, is somewhat new and I just got exposed to it at the container store. You know, as we're recruiting, part of it is like, where, where are we going to find people? Right. Um, it's like, are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Twitter? Referrals are a great source, but what is the message going out to all those people? What are they hearing? And then how do they apply? So think about the last time you bought something. Like you're like, okay, we need um, acoustical panels. We may look at Home Depot. We may research it online. We may talk to somebody who works with one of our trade partners. There are multiple touch points as you're shopping for something that you're getting a little bit of information and ultimately funneling down to make one decision. It's the same with recruitment. 
with Container Store. I saw your billboard. I had a friend who worked there last summer. I walked in your store. I'm on your email list and I follow you on Instagram. All of those are little touch points. And so all of those you need to control as much as you can and make a positive impact on people so that all of those drivers ultimately help make that decision and make it an easy one. They make the decision in terms of recruiting easier. So whenever yeah. you're saying, hey, we're hiring for this position, then people say, oh, I know that company and I know they do this really well. And I know when I'm in the store, they're very friendly. And I know that they keep me, they communicate with me well. It has to be a great place to work. That's absolutely right. Okay. I'm way in on that idea. Exactly. Yeah. You know where, you know where I see that kicking in for us, which we, it needs to only elevate much higher is when somebody, leaves maybe to chase a dollar and then a few weeks later i think that recruitment marketing kicks in They're like can i please come back mm-hmm. like I, I miss how y'all treated us mm-hmm. um, but we don't have that out there very strong in a social media sense but i think all those things connected because your reputation gets known in the marketplace like oh you know they treat you pretty good you might want to stick stick around there uh and not chase another dollar an hour or whatever the case may be Yeah. And I think you're touching on um, what I call the employee value proposition. Mm. What keeps you at a place? What are the larger implications of working there? Like, yes, you get a bigger paycheck over here. But what about going to lunch every Monday? What about those awesome reviews you get with your boss? What about the team hang that you have every Friday night at your buddy's house? You know, all those intangibles push together to really make all of the value of working where you work. Um, and those things go away when you chase that dollar. Mm-hmm. And you exchange them for an unknown. Right, yeah. right. Grass may be greener, but it also might not be. It might be dead. <laughs> right. Okay, I want to go back. I want to go back to recruitment marketing, though. Because this theory, sorry, screeching back. Um, this this idea, I can see how it like, works really well in like retail. That sector because you sure. get all these different touch points. Yeah. How do you sort of transmute that principle from retail where I, I can really understand it into construction, professional services, things that aren't so always outwardly facing mm-hmm. and are sometimes more inwardly facing to the clients that are in the door and the projects that you're working on? Thoughts on thoughts on that? That's a super good question. The first thing that comes to mind for me is Texo. Um, you know, when I was at Beck, um, we were super involved in Texo and the student competition. And what I would experience is I went to OU in the fall for the career fair. I went to OU in the spring for the career fair. I would take a professor out to dinner, genuinely have a conversation with him, go back in April, present to his class about the value of lean building. Um, and then in October, when the educators conference came, they would come, we would talk to them, say, hey, who are your best students? And he'd be like, oh, it's X, Y, and Z. And we're like, cool, cool. Okay, I'll keep that in mind in the spring. So, I mean, in both, it's playing the long game. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, in and out, like, we're ready to hire the top talent. Let's go. It's really building relationships, getting referrals, adding value back to the classroom Sponsoring student competitions, getting involved. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that from the YCC as well. Sure. Um, but, you know, that was my experience at Beck is really building relationships, adding value in the classroom um, so that that student who is a sophomore at OU, by the time they graduate, there's no question because they've already seen you at their career fair, come to the educators conference, competed in the student competition, interned with you so that, boom, graduation day, they're they're sold. 
That makes good sense, yeah. So would this be considered recruitment marketing, what we're doing right now? A hundred percent, you guys. Yeah. It is. I mean, think about your platform. You have built the number of people that you impact every day. I mean, you've made great strides in um, bringing visibility to both of your companies, to Texo, in addition to your podcast. You're building your own brand, but you're bringing with it all of the things that you are mm. in all of the other companies that you represent. I mean, you said that um, in the episode that dropped today, right? On our 52nd episode, you were talking about how we, I think the question was like, what, what, what value have you derived from it or what have you learned from it? And you were talking about how it's, it's um, all of these episodes are out there that are, are what you're about, right? Just, you want to you know what Kev's about? Go listen to about 50 hours worth of audio and figure out. That's right. That's right. That and then the, the daily motivation. Every every new person that gets added is a reminder to me on that list that I'm accountable to do the things that are said in these words or the words are useless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. And I think you've given me visibility to Dynamic Glass. I mean, I'll follow you on social media, you know, and so your companies are benefiting from your visibility on this platform, not only to your guests, but also to your listeners. In a, in a genuine way. I mean, not in a, you know, creepy, let's throw lots of dollars at it kind mm -hmm. of way, but, but I think in a, in a very genuine, positive way. Yeah. Indirectly, you know, mm -hmm. we're just having these conversations and it comes up naturally talking about business and. Well, it's hard to have a conversation about what we do when we don't talk about what we do. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I mean, like, it is hey, a lot of my life. It is a lot of our life. But yeah, you're I mean. representing where you work and you're representing your family and all of those communities at the same time. Well, that's an awesome moment. I'm just going to sit that and let that soak that in, man. <laughs> yeah. You're doing recruitment marketing. You didn't even know it. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> hey, what is it? Oh, you're doing it. Cool. <laughs> Check mark. <laughs> now we need to do it better. Yeah, let's do it better. Next step. Yeah. And that's where Southern Lighthouse kicks in, it right? It is. It is. You know, I know you guys have talked a lot about like COVID reflections and um, I had my second baby in February of 2020. So... We had him for three weeks before the world shut down. Mm. And um, so suddenly I was home with a newborn and a four-year-old. My husband was working at home and I got furloughed from Container Store. You know, recruitment is, um, there's not a big need for it during, right. <laughs> during a time where you're not hiring. Um, so I really had a lot of time to think like, well, what do I want my life to look like when this is all over? When the world goes back or into the next normal what do I want my world to look like? And frankly, I was a little burned out on recruiting, but super pumped about marketing. And I remember having a, a hard conversation with my husband and saying, can we really do this? Like, mm -hmm. could I really start a company? I'd never wanted to be an entrepreneur. This is never my dream. My family's done this, but not me. I love the paycheck and the 401k. Like it's super scary to go out on your own, but I thought if I'm ever going to do it, this is the moment. And it would give me a lot more flexibility to be at home with this little baby and my four-year-old. Um, and he was like, yes, let's do it. Um, so Southern Lighthouse was born July 7th, 2020. So I had two babies under a few months old. Um, and I posted on LinkedIn on a Thursday, you know, Southern Lighthouse is open for business. 24 hours later, Daniel Harris had seen my post, sent me a message and said, hey, we've been wanting someone to write our story on our blog, to interview our leaders and write about our culture and write their stories to share with our clients and vendors. Um, 
would, would you be interested? And I was like, yes. One, it sounded fun. And two, I'm like, I have zero clients. Yes, I'll do anything. <laughs> do whatever you need. But it was a really perfect fit. And so within 24 hours, I had my first client. And I'll say that gave me so much confidence that there are companies out there that need me and need my services. And this is the right direction to go to. So I'm super grateful to Daniel and Osborne for being my first client. Um, and so, well, and if, if you need a second to read something, circle back and read the the work that you've been doing for them. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Well, it's so special. You know, with them, I've interviewed their leaders and written their stories. And I think you may guys, you guys may find this, but people don't know they have a story sometimes. Um, one example I interviewed one of their executives and, um, we were supposed to be talking about trucking operations and, um, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I just, I just got a message about my, um, my nonprofit. And I was like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Like, oh, I, j- I just started a nonprofit a few years ago. Can you tell me more about that? This is a great interview tip. Tell me more about that. Yeah, go on. So he's like, you know, my wife and I just feel passionate. This family lost their, um, parent and, they couldn't afford Christmas. And so we just raised a ton of money and um, gave it to them. And we put up a Christmas tree and we bought all these presents so the kids could have Christmas. And I was like, let's talk about that some more. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't think they have a story, but they have a story. And I mean, you guys say that on your intro every time that every single person has a story and every single brand has a story. And so that's been my passion. And my job is finding those stories and sharing them. Yeah, I mean, the intro says, and I hadn't thought about it in that context, but they're great stories and they need to be told. That's right. Man, you're telling them. That's cool. Yeah. That's super. It's been, it's been super fun. I mean, Texo is a client that's been super fun. Um, Container Store actually came back and asked me to do work for them, which is a a very full circle moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But again, I think it's the relationships that you have that, you know, they knew me, they trusted me, they'd seen my work before and they believed that I could help them. And so I think leveraging business that um, those relationships that you already have is is part of furthering that client list. We had that conversation at a lunch last week about Daniel Harris. That is Daniel Harris. And he, he likes to do it behind the scenes, in the shadows, and build people up, take care of people that he knows as good people and support them, launch them. There's so many instances yeah. where he is the centerpiece of that just – what an awesome dude that we get to mutually call a good friend. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, think about, you know, the impact of shopping small. I mean, you're like, okay, Christmas gifts. I can buy them on Amazon or I could buy them from you know, my sister, for example. And I mean, Daniel's doing that. It's like he will support a small business like me because of one decision that he made. I mean, that gave me confidence to keep going this year. So it, it's hugely impactful, these decisions that leaders can make. What is Southern Lighthouse doing for these companies? Like, what's the what's the scope? Yes. So we really help two types of clients. The first is I'd call it a solopreneur or a mom and pop. Uh, one or two people companies that really need help getting off the ground. So we help design logos, build websites, um, really help them think strategically on how to grow. The second is more of an Osborne Texo container store where it's a smaller marketing department, but they can't do it all by themselves and they need a little extra help. I'd say my superpower is writing. So we help accomplish email marketing, share their culture on blogs, help with strategy. Um, and the name Southern Lighthouse is, uh, comes from a phrase that I read once that really 
inspired me be a ladder or a lifeboat or a lighthouse, help others up or out or through. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of a lighthouse marking dangerous coastlines, showing the way was really inspirational to me. And so I love the idea of helping businesses, whether they're kind of a smaller mom and pop or a corporate client, um, showing them the way to go. Mm -hmm. And avoid naturally avoid the coast. Exactly. Keep sailing. Yeah. And you got to get on that monthly newsletter if you're not on it. I don't think I'm is it, it's Thanks. frequencies monthly, right? It is. Yeah. I try to hit around the first of the month, but, um, I do send out a newsletter every month. You can sign up for it on my website, southernlighthouse.com. And, you know, instead of just talking business, I really wanted to just share a word of inspiration every month. And so this last month it was about the Olympics and how these two Olympians, um, high jumpers shared the gold medal and yeah, just what did. an inspirational story that was. Um, okay. So I'm going to stop right there. Yes. You love the Olympics? I do like I, it. I love the Olympics. The shirtless watch the Olympics like crazy. We watched the closing ceremony. We like all the way through to closing ceremonies last night. Um, and they're doing like the top five moments. I don't know if you watched it. And that was like one or two, the high jumpers sharing the gold. Mm. And, um, to Rico, as he was recapping and he was saying like, these are the moments that you'll remember forever. And I was like, I will always like for the rest of my life, remember those two high jumpers, like just. It was awesome. You know the story? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And if it. I didn't, Southern Lighthouse had my back. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just putting it front and center for you. That's right. That's awesome. That's right. So just, um, I just love like sharing inspiration. And then, you know, at the end, there's a business tidbit. But um, from a marketing perspective, staying in front of your clients is so important. And so if it's in a, in a wisdom nugget, if it's in a daily motivation, if it's in an inspirational email once a month, you know, your name is out there over and over and over again. And again, that's going back to that recruitment marketing of, all of those touch points add up to whatever you think about a brand. And so it's important to stay out there and stay in front of them, but also keep that as a positive reminder of your company. Okay. I got to stop down there because I'm on our marketing committee for the firm and on our Texas marketing committee subcommittee. And one of the things we wrestle with all the time is we, we push out a bunch of content and we're trying to like not be noise though. Right. So it's, how do you balance like being in front of clients, right? Cause we, we write a lot and we push out a lot of content around construction law and the things that we're doing, but yet not overdo it. So your email just becomes <laughs> delete. Like, wh- how do you balance that? That's so true. At the end of the day, I always think, is this going to add value to the person who's reading it? Mm-hmm. Um, my CPA firm sends out newsletters that are super dry, but. In the last month, it was like, well, did you know small business, you know, office deduction was blah, 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 blah. And I was like, actually, as a small business owner, knowing about that deduction helps me a lot. So though it was super bland and boring, that added value to my life. And so I think knowing your your customer, I mean, sure. you know who your clients are right. demographically and like, are they going to, is this going to improve their life? Will this add knowledge? Is this educational? Is this informational? Is this entertaining to them? And if any of those are true, yes, mm-hmm. I'd say add it. Gotcha. That's interesting. And you branching off into Southern Lighthouse is how we kind of got connected, right? Like some, maybe we, the Daniel connection. Like, I think we have a lot of mutual friends. You know, when right. I was at Beck, I um, I worked with Josh Carson. I worked with Molly McDaniel. I worked with Daniel Harris. And then, you know, I think LinkedIn helps all of those people stay connected. And so um, I was super involved in 
Texo when I was um, here, especially within the foundation. And so I just think a lot of our mutual friends, Kristen Buckaloo Cairns is one of them, mm-hmm. um, kind of has great things to say about, about you as well. Do you remember the first touch point? I don't. I'm trying to. I don't. Memory's not my strong suit. So. I don't. I don't. I'm sure there's a lot though. You know, yeah. again, going back, there are 12 touch points, you know, with all of these decisions. And like, I think we're, um, yeah, connected through a lot of different ways. And immediately you were with us since the beginning and throughout of and like little tidbits, uh, helping us out, connecting us with guests, like the whole gamut. I hope it adds value. You know, that's, um, what has been so fun about listening to your podcast is, you know, I was deeply ingrained with this community when I was at Beck. And so I get to see all of these people in this community 10, 15 years later. And mm-hmm. so Josh Carson was an intern. Well, Josh Carson is an executive now. Yeah. And so like yeah. listening so awesome. to them, where they're at, Daniel Harris too, Melanie too, it's like, they all grew up and um, it's so fun to see their successes in long form. Yeah. You know, it's like little bite-sized pieces on social media, but like to hear their voice and to know their story from where we left off has been really special. And what we don't get often, which I appreciate is like, Hey, I think you could do this better. Or what about this type of guest? And it, right. because we're not thinking about all these things and you come in with a fresh perspective every now and again, which is always welcoming us. We need that. Yeah, we thank need you. people like that. Well, I I appreciate your openness to it, and I think that's sometimes where, um, like even consultants are helpful because you just you're in it every mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. and you you're so deeply entrenched that it's hard to pull your head up. And so, an outside perspective, um, if you're open to it, can be super super valuable. So I'm I'm grateful you guys are doing it, but I'm grateful you're open to the feedback too. I just can't, we're on Instagram. I just can't get down with the path to spike it. You know, like the having a story constantly, 30 posts a day. Like I'm not passionate enough, nor do I have the capacity to take that on. So our following will slowly trickle up (laughs) the level it does. And honestly, our following has been LinkedIn. I mean, that's where a lot of people live that we're talking to. And that makes sense. And I think that's important to know your you know, persona would be the marketing term, but like know your demographic, know who's following you. And like, you know, it's a lot of the construction industry. You know, it's a lot of people in DFW and then that random place in Washington or whatever. It is. <laughs> we figured that out, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah, we figured it out. It was a, uh, it was like an Amazon, an AWS um, farm that was getting a proxy bounced off of it. There actually weren't people there. Yeah, because we've had a Lake Stevens, Stevens, Washington, Mass Exodus. That's right. Yeah. And now it's Hugh, Ohio. Yeah, that's the new AWS uh, ping. Yeah. I'm really glad you figured that out because I was curious. Yeah. Um, So, all you people in Lake Stevens, Washington who aren't listening, it wasn't (laughs) you anyway. It was never you to begin with. (laughs) We'll still talk to you though. Reach out. It's cool. Call me. Hey, Lake Stevens, you real? (laughs) Um, Um, But it's good to know, you know, who your people are and like, it makes sense that it's a professional community. Therefore it's going to be on LinkedIn. I mean, that is a professional community. And so that's where your people are and that's where your following is. And that's fine. You know, I think people often feel like they need to be on Snapchat and Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and all of these places, but it's like, what's the strategy and what's the value and what are you trying to do? I mean, if you're trying to be an influencer on Instagram, you're failing, but that's not where you want to be. I mean, you think you want to add value to your community, and and you absolutely are. I think Kevin needs to do more TikTok videos. Mm, I, I might watch. What do you yeah. think of that strategy? 
we'll could, see. Could it be like I am so bad at dancing that it might actually get a following? It might go those, viral. Like, yeah. I can't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I got a shop manager, Roger. He he can do all those TikTok dances. So. All the Fortnite dances. That's what my kids are doing these days. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? All right, where are we going? Two step us, bro. Two step out. No, we we talk about family and hobbies. We do. Oh that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hit those. Well, we did Let's... at the beginning, but she's got a ton of cool hobbies. That I know. About. I have. I have like. Well, basketball is a hobby. I like to build things. <laughs> those are very exciting. Tell us. Ball is life. It was a little. It was a little intimidating. I was like, I don't drink bourbon. I don't play basketball. Like, I'm not sure. About... What are you going to talk? Neither about? do I. High five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad there's still space for me. Yeah. Um, no, I um, I love reading. I try to have a fiction book and a nonfiction book going at the same time in different places of the house, just wherever I have a brief moment to sit down and read. Um, I like gardening. I think that's why I liked my intern so much. It's like. Being a part of someone's life, being a part of something, and then watching it grow up is so rewarding to me, whether it's a little watermelon plant or a little intern. Um, and then I, I'm into scuba diving. I haven't done it recently, but um, my grandfather had the idea that he'd get my grandmother certified so he could go fishing, have her go down with a tennis ball. Whenever she saw a fish, release the tennis ball so he would know where to fish. This was the concept. This is the legend. This man is a legend. <laughs> your your grandma was like the sonar, right? <laughs> That's right. Before sonar was this a is... thing. <laughs> hey, fish finder, what's going on down there? <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So anyway, it started this whole legacy of family going, getting scuba certified to the point where like my parents did it on their honeymoon and then... Um, we all got certified and I got um, multiple certifications. So I'm a dive master now, which just means you can take people down with you. So I've gotten to go around um, Mexico a lot. I dove in Portugal and Australia, New Zealand, and um, it's been really amazing. You know, you think about like the amount of earth that's covered in water mm -hmm. that we will never see, but scuba diving really enables you to get a lot closer to to see dolphins and see whales and to see grouper and like things that we would never see on this part of the earth. Um, and just lets you see that. I think the descent is terrifying. Terrifying. That's fair. Like, first time I was in there, I'm like rocking up and down and then trying to clear my ears as I'm going down this rope and it's super turbulent. I'm like, I don't like this. But then like the deeper you go, the calmer it is. And then you start swimming around. But the whole time back in my head, I'm like, I don't have control right now. Cause if this equipment, fails i am in deep trouble i totally agree it is a very unnatural thing to do <sighs> breathing underwater should not be a thing right unless if you're luca yeah shout out new pixar movie mm -mm. oh it's, it's oh, a good yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about that's a that's the second time we've talked about things i won't do <laughs> Watch Luca. The other one no. was reading? Or? No, no. <laughs> Eat dinner by yourself. Go backpacking across Europe what? with solo stuff. Scuba. And scuba. Okay. Whoopsies. And watch Luca. I'm not watching that. No, I'm just kidding. I probably will. That's but fair. yeah, scuba? Nah. Completely out of control. <laughs> out. <laughs> out. That's fair. All right. That's let's fair. let's take a, a two-step home. Books and the one big thing. You got some books lined up for us? All right. I... I love books. I have a ton of like fiction books, but I don't think that's where you're going. Um, what's, what's, what are you, what are you fiction reading right now? <laughs> um, right now it's a lot. It's a mystery series about um, Corinna Chapman. Boys? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have moved on 
since Hardy Boys and the Babysitter's Club. There you go. Those were classics in their day. Oh, actually, Babysitter's Club just like, bing. I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The boxcar children. Stella's reading that right now. Really? Yes. I'm yes. so thrilled it's still around. It's still around. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Got us in the ditch. Oh, right now it's a random book I picked up at the library and it happened to be great. And then I realized it's a whole series, which is like the best. Mm-hmm. It's by Carrie Greenwood and it's called the Corinna Chapman series. And it's about this Australian baker who happens to solve mysteries. It's super random and like just very entertaining to take me, take me away. There you go. Um, But, you know, if... Books, business books that have kind of um, shifted. When I was at the container store, there's a concept called conscious capitalism. And it's the idea that business can elevate humanity. Business can be good. And so there's a book called Conscious Capitalism. And this is a philosophy that's followed by Whole Foods and the container store and Starbucks and Trader Joe's. And so it's um, it's a it's a really cool read just thinking about business from a um, humanities perspective, instead of just, we're here to make money. We're here to help with the triple bottom line, which is this idea that there's good for the planet, good for people and good for profit, Mm -hmm. planet, people and profit that we can help our employees. We can make money and we can be good to the earth. So that was a pretty interesting read to just kind of shift my mindset around business, but to see it lived out every day at the container store in terms of, how we're treating our vendors um, was a was a pretty cool um, pretty cool book. So was it. it required container store reading, or did you just happen to read it also? I think like dynamic glass, like there was a library ah. where you could take it, and that was part of orientation of like here's a PowerPoint of our values, and like here's what conscious capitalism is, um, but not required to I read gotcha. the book. Yeah. The funny thing is, you were doing that at Beck too with your onboarding, like. When, when somebody comes on, like, what are we going to do next? Like, have them serve for Habitat of Humanity. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of being a good steward of leadership where these people are better for meeting you and being led by you because you're pouring into them regardless of if they stay or go or whatever. It's just, I'm going to make this human being a better person. And so you're doing that. Yeah. So did you see some confirmations after you read that? Like, oh, I got some things going that are going the right direction and I can elevate it to the next level with this book. Yeah, I think it was it was really from a business perspective of kind of what is the impact of this company on the world? Like what are we doing for our vendors? What are we doing for our people? But definitely a big part of that also at back of what are we doing for our people? Um and I think the sustainability movement kind of started blossoming at that time too of like what are we doing for the planet? Are we building buildings just cuz a client needs them and we're going to make money or are we going to build this for the next 50 years? Are we going to put in more sustainable materials now that lead accreditation is a thing? Um, you know, looking at a job beyond just the dollars, mm-hmm. looking at the job in terms of um, will it give our people work? Because that was a big thing. I mean, during both recessions is like, how can we keep these people employed? How can we keep food on the table in a time where we're not sure we're going to you know, make as much profit as we could. So I think looking beyond just the money every time you get a job, looking at what it, the impact is on the people and the planet too. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. Well, I derailed you on the books. No, so. um, I'll I'll stop there. I could I could talk all day on books, but um, but yeah, conscious capitalism was a um, 
kind of a mind blower at the time, um, just that I had not really thought about business from a perspective of elevating humanity. That's good. All right. So what's the one big thing? Yeah. Um, so I, um, everything you do and everything you don't do makes an impact. I think like a boat, you leave a wake behind you and you can choose to make it a positive one. Everyone has the opportunity to change the course of someone's day at every intersection. And I think there are a million ways to do that. You can hire an intern, be curious, support a small business, teach your kids to be kind to the mailman, Mm. be patient with your waiter, read a book, put your grocery cart back where you found it, (laughs) smile at the person you see in the elevator, write your grandma a letter, like one with a stamp. Be a ladder to help someone up, be a lifeboat to help someone out, be a lighthouse to help someone through because every person makes an impact. So make yours a good one. Yeah. Rachel, I was born ready Kennedy. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. This was awesome. My pleasure. 